You're listening to a Scottish Poetry Library podcast. Homecoming. As I drive, you dream on in the back seat, unaware that motorways have narrowed to lanes, safe in the guiltless sleep only children manage. My thoughts are with what is forgotten. Breeds and crosses have become cows and sheep in nursery books. Strains of ryegrass are broad brushed fields, greens and yellows merged at speed. I want to learn again the art of careful detail, a wood pigeon soft calling from Scots pines on her law, a fox on the skyline returning home, an early morning tractor ploughing for barley. I smell the damson above the diesel, I taste the earth. By the time we cross over the locker bridge, my feet on the pedals are paddling in frog spawn. So easily it slips between the toes. Turning the final corner, I picture my welcome, the bark the collie gives a stranger, the slow burn of recognition in a wrinkled face, and my words faltering and uncertain like the first unsteady steps of an Ayrshire calf staggering towards her mother with a hunger newborn. Hello and welcome to another edition of the best little Scottish poetry podcast series in the world, probably. My name is Colin Waters and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes. This month we have, for your enjoyment, Jim Carruth, the Glasgow Poet Laureate and author of a new collection just published by Freight called Black Cart. Jim was born in Johnston in 1963 and he grew up on his family's farm near Kilbarkin. His first collection, Bovine Pastoral, was published in 2004 and it was a runner-up in the Callum MacDonald Memorial Award. Since then he's brought out another five collections. In 2010 he was chosen as one of the poets showcased in Oxford Poets 2010. In 2014, he was appointed Poet Laureate of Glasgow, and he's one of the founders of St Mungo's Mirrorball, the Glasgow network of poets and poetry lovers. St Mungo is best known for putting on a fantastic monthly poetry night in Glasgow and for mentoring emerging poets. Jim, uh, the first poem in your, your new collection, your second collection, Black Cart, which is published by Freight, is Homecoming, which we just heard. It's about a car journey from from the city to the countryside. Was that a journey you made often yourself? I think so in terms of of work. uh, For decades now I've worked in Glasgow. So this is much more a return from working rather than necessarily a return from where I was staying. I always stayed in the local village. But this was set, I think now, almost a quarter of a century ago. Mm -hmm. And it's very much this idea of trying to understand uh, where you've come from uh, and that language and that uh, community and it's something up to that point I think had taken very much for granted and, and that's part of what the poem's trying to explore. But by writing poetry does that sensitise yourself to the surroundings that you know you're moving between you know is it a way of sort of of thinking about it? I think uh, it does I think also the fact I've got physical contact with the place so I haven't lost the physical contact. Mm. So um, milking cows or, or going back there you know, weekends means that it's not something you, you're putting in the past tense because the, the, the new experiences are happening on a weekly or monthly basis. So it's looking at the importance of what would be seen as different 
uh, in terms of something you want to share with others. Uh, and some of that's language, some of it's experience. So the book's full of important aspects of reinforcing the language of the community and uh, the way of working, but also the actual practical skills that are required day to day. Because you've got that great line, don't you? I want to learn again the art of careful detail. It's strange if you're, you're brought up somewhere you do just take it for granted and you, you, the fact that my childhood didn't involve streets and we just ran about the fields but as that would be seen as very you know for most people are very untypical um, so I never wrote about it and then you know as, as I realised you know you, probably with age that there's certain things where you think well no this is different mm. you know it's something worth sharing and not that it's any better or any worse, but it's something worth sharing, uh, you know, as a lived experience. So, for the benefit of people who don't know your um, your biography, um, so you were brought up on a family farm? Yes, uh, uh, a dairy farm in Renfrewshire, and uh, my brother still has that uh, uh, dairy farm uh, hanging on there just uh, in terms of the economic uh, circumstances, but much of the book is exploring how much that um, local landscape has changed in terms of uh, the farms and the farmers that um, I was well aware of and that shift away, uh, most of the local farms um, had a herd of dairy cows uh, and uh, they've virtually all gone uh, mm. to replace by second homes or stables or mm. um, uh, some sheep as well. So a very, very different landscape even within you know half a century. And was that, how many generations going back did your family work the land? It's hard to say. Our side were always seen as peasant farmers. So Caruth, the name Caruth comes from the lands of Caruth. And that's a local lands about two or three miles away from the, the family farm just now. And we took the name of the land. So we're likely to have travelled three miles in four centuries. <laughs> uh, you know, at the most. So, um, you know, some Kiruths have travelled further afield. And Kiruths are likely, within reason, to be cousins or related. Right. It was just a, it was a name that was just probably given to the one family and, uh, uh, and spread from there. So we can track a lot of relations have gone to Ulster as a first stopping point and then, then off to America, for example. If you look at the back of the book, it's got some stellar recommendations on it. You've got Douglas Dunn, uh, Les Murray, golly, uh, Gillian Clark and Bernard O'Donoghue. Um, and the word that comes up a couple of times in, in different forms is there's, there's sentimental, isn't there? There's, um, uh, Les Murray talks about how Scottish poetry had been uh, bedeviled by a Burnsian sentimentality. And Douglas Dunn says oh, your, your poems are paired and unsentimental. Do you think writing about the countryside in the past has been weighed down by sentimental takes on it? In part. It's either... I don't think there's been another part of the equation. I don't think there's been a lot of practical poetry from those that work the land or from that perspective. Um, and uh, a lot of those that are very much an external viewpoint and maybe it's a softening of the viewpoint or... Uh, you know, the, uh, somehow it's a link to the past, uh, which isn't true. The agriculture today is current and now. So yes, you can look at the changes. And, you know, there's a couple of poems about the changes moving into mechanisation, but that, that's just a given. That's what, always what was going to happen. And in terms of moving through that progress and just reflecting on that, um, but it's still a very 
you know, it should be a much more valued existence. And I always um, talk about the fact that initially I was um, very taken um, uh, with some of the poetry of R.S. Thomas. Really, he was commenting um, on the rural community he worked in, but in many ways it was still an external viewpoint and he was shaping it, you know, to have his sort of specific image of, the, of what might be seen as, as the, the, you know, the peasant. And, and, and I've become more and more uncomfortable with some aspects of what I saw as stereotyping some aspect of his thinking. And what you have in this is a range of different individuals with different perspectives and um, different senses. And uh, it's much more works than all. And mm. it might be that's what they're getting at. I think it's the absence of poems like this that's the issue, rather than the fact that there's some over to one side. There's, you know, there's other ones that are much more sentimental. Mm. You know. It's been very hard to find, you know, other poets that are Scottish based where you felt that there was a conversation or a dialogue, you know. And I always say that, you know, I remember liking a lot of very early Patrick Kavanagh mm. and that perspective of the local against the universal and, and thinking, you know, that there's a story to be told. Mm. But Douglas Dunn picks up, up on that in his quote on the back of the book because he writes about how Scotland defines in literature as an as an urban nation, um, and I guess that that's true. We, we don't really, even though you know Burns is you know a central figure in Scottish culture at times, and was a ploughman poet. Scotland's moved quite a distance from that. I think so. And if you look at the current syllabus, it's very much true uh, of you know that urban focus. And I think if you got the vast majority of people that either brought up in the city or moved to the city, then. If it's their experiences, that's what uh, they're going to get. And um, what I've spent only a small amount of time is, is responding to what would be seen as a city experience for me in terms of the, the, what would a typical working day. That I'm less um, taken by you know, um, uh, responding to seven and a half hours in an office you know, on a daily basis. It doesn't uh, trigger the same sort of response. Do you find any resistance to writing poems about the explore the countryside? I'm thinking of the poem The Daughters of Proteus, which has an amusing uh, epigraph, <laughs> introductory quote. No. All <laughs> magazines are going to accept his type of poem, so yes. you know, you are spending a lot of time, you know, in terms of trying to get you know, initially chapbook interests and different mm-hmm. things, but the argument is in the quality of the poems, not their subject matter. Yes. And uh, to try and pick that, and it is only you know one strand of my writing, and um, it's interesting when you know without knowing my background where poems are accepted on the strength of the poem, you know, and uh, a lot of the poems that are accepted do have a rural mm. sort of background. Shall we read a poem? The Daughters of Protus. Begin my muses, begin again the herdsman's song, Theresis. Don't send me any more cow poems, Sally Evans, Portia Scotland. How can I possibly stop now? My muse will not let me, for milk is my wine. So I'll bow down drunk again at the shrines of bucolic beauty. Show the daughters of Pretus with clipper-top lines and tail-perm perfections, parading pride as the prize. Through a June heat haze, gaze on graceful manicured hooves, haltered heads and red rosettes, haughty heifers of Holstein, hold high your gleaming muzzles, stretch necks to graze the sky. 
bovine goddesses of milk, shiny hides, silken and pied, swing those glorious udders. O oh, princesses of talcum powder, your black has never been so dark, your white has never been so bright. Our ladies of the long lactation, suckers of this once great nation, accept again my humble praise. There's, I guess there's a, a few poems dotted about the collection, uh, <laughs> but there's characters who've got, um, shall we say, I think the current parlance would be mental health issues. Um, there's Isaiah Turner, John Clare, who makes an appearance, Don Quixote, the man who worked to hug cows. Living in the countryside's not that bad, is it? I think the problem is that they expect that, again, it's just that portrayal of the countryside as though it wouldn't have the same issues. Yeah. And, um, uh, there's um, a, a poem also about abuse within the family, and uh, they're just as obvious. It might be that there's not as much made about them because of the, the, the scale of the issue, but the idea that uh, they wouldn't have the same challenges, especially with the amount of pressure that are on the families uh, themselves and, uh, and the extreme pressure in terms of work and finances, that there wouldn't be issues around mental health, there wouldn't be... Uh, you know, mounting frustration. To talk about um, in science, for example, there's that hint at the you know thoughts and suicide and and what to do. And I think that I won't shy away from them as well. You know, I always say it's a celebration of all aspects of landscape, but you can't just miss out the bits you don't mm. fancy or you, you don't want. And those are always. Um, interesting responses uh, you know, are much more likely to fictionalise the names there or, or individuals and stuff, but I'll still put the poems in the collection, I'll still read them out you know, within the local community because um, that's part of the reading. Mm. So poets are meant to do, isn't it? Talk about their community. Um, so is the man who worked to hug cows, that feels like it's torn from experience. But yeah, a real person. The The I think I fictionalised the his role, his job role, and but a very real person, you know. I, I knew him. I met him in writers groups. Of all, you know, of the number of poems, that one has been most anthologised. Really, and it is exactly what you said. This idea of loss, aspects of mental health, and the needing to belong. And I think that's universal. So it's not about you can only relate to that in the country. It's about the amount of isolation people feel within the city. And um, time time again, you know, there's been an ask either to read it or to include it in something. Mm. Your poem about Don Quixote has got a great punchline as well. <laughs> I think so. Again, it was a book that I returned to much later, you know, having been forced to read it and not being uh, uh, overly uh, keen on it at the time. Going back to, to, to look at, you know, which is clearly that, different stages of madness he goes through and it maybe is a, a little, it's maybe a little dig at uh, uh, sheep farming. One of my brothers is a, a dairy farmer, the other is a small, um, we say, hobby flock and there's, there's a, a couple of digs in there. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't remembered this myself but um, the peak of Don Quixote's madness after fighting windmills and various other adventures is that, as you remind in the poem, that he wants to become a sheep farmer. Yeah. That's him really at the yeah. peak of his craziness. Yeah. The man who wanted to hug cows. On his good days, he'd walk out from the village, lose himself in country lanes, 
drawing blood from brambles, or stare across fields, mumbling to himself. They called him Professor, though no one knew his past. The postman brought rumours of separation and breakdown. When first asked, farmers said no. One relented, pointing him to a quiet Frisian. Seemed harmless enough, he told his neighbour later, but he watched him closely from the gate that first time, uneasy at the nervousness of the stranger. Left in peace for long afternoons, he'd cling around folds of the heifer's neck, whisper an echo in the beast's dark ear. Her big eyes and soft rough muzzle would turn to him. Slow motion slivers and heavy breath fell across his face. To those who listen, the farmer's wife still recalls, finding him asleep in the grass, a smile within the herd, his head resting on thick-haired warmth, lulled by the rise and fall of maternal ribs, the beat of a larger heart. As Black Carp continues, as it reaches towards the end, uh, there's quite a few poems that deal with mortality, especially, I guess, your parents. Were those difficult poems to write? Any poem about parents difficult. There's elegies for my mother and her mother. One's about my grandma written while she was still alive, or, and whereas the couple about my mother at the end of the book were written in her final month. Uh, I never shared with her and they were particularly challenging for me because it, in many ways it was just trying to capture something uh, and work on it later and I found it very hard to return to them for a long while and it still quite clearly does affect the family if I'm reading them in, in public and uh, I was reading them um, uh, last week and uh, these are just hard poems to write, hard poems to read uh, and I think it's true of anyone. You, you're trying to get them right. And we went back to the idea of sentimental or unsentimental, but just to try and get the, the, the tone uh, and right. To know it has to relate to individuals I've never met them, but also those that were closest. It never gets any easier than that. I mean, I'm still um, toying with some around my father's death, and um, they continue to um, challenge me. Can we, we hear one of those poems? Maybe the last poem in the collection, Inheritance, would be... Yeah, this um, was written a few years ago. That My father uh, moved out of the, the farm uh, to a small cottage uh, as his health was failing a bit, but also to give uh, the opportunity for my brother um, to give him a bit more space in terms of developing in, uh, the herd. And it meant that not only... My journey was, you know, was, was always less often anyway, but he would be travelling up to the farm for a place where he, he'd been based his whole life rather than uh, being there and, and coming in uh, you know, on a daily or, or weekly basis as well. So that's just trying to explore that journey. Uh, the other thing I should say is that I was the oldest son in the expectation might have been there for me to take over the farm, which I didn't. Inheritance. Together we stand, late in an autumn afternoon, in the doorway to the byre, father and son, looking across the lands of Hyok and Sale to the long-shadowed milkers still grazing in the corner field. And I, the eldest, know I've walked away from all this. With the partial commitment of relief milkings on Saturdays or a help at harvest time, I've 
turn down the full embrace of a life wedded to the land as the keeper of the herd. Though we will not speak of it, now or ever, letting our silence be a sign. For you are my father in much more than looks, and my real inheritance is the handing down of being, a shared passion for what this place means. Neither of us live here any more, so each return journey is a reconnecting. And while we're able, we'll always come back, each to be judged in turn by what we pass on to others. But not now, as we bring in the cows. Away back, get away back. Two voices in the failing light, calling out together. I think I was always interested, and not specifically with you know what might be seen as a day job rather than poetry, but um, he was always supportive of all of us, whatever we did, mm. uh, and it was it was true of my mother as well. And when I started writing, I thought it might be a wee bit alien to him, but he was always cutting all the cl- clippings out of papers. You know, it was Herald Poem of the Day, um, Scotsman. He would cut them out if he was aware of it, and he had this big. Um, plastic uh, see-through bag at the side of his um, what ended up being one of these big sort of comfy seats um, and everything went in there uh, every little cutting you know whether it was a launch or an invite or a poem or different things or poems that I'd, I'd given him they all went in this big bag and he was always pulling them out and uh, reading them to poor visitors that came to see him and uh, but it turns out that uh, he, he wouldn't say himself, but uh, uh, my mum would say that he used to write um, rhyming poems about day trips they went on and holidays they went on and, and for special occasions. And um, he started writing a wee bit more uh, as he uh, as he got older as well. And, and we would get these rhymes in our birthday cards and, and different things. So he was supportive uh, and... Um, I think very proud of that aspect of it. You also, in addition to being, well, in addition to writing poetry, you also run uh, something called St Mungo's, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a trainee poetry writing scheme, and St Mungo's Mirrorball, which is uh, a monthly uh, poetry event. Yeah, St Mungo's Mirrorball, we'll have our 100th event in the autumn, oh. once I work, calculate out which exact the event is and uh, been running for over 10 years. We run um, seven or eight events a year uh, in Glasgow with a membership of 100, uh, just over 100 just now. A number of years ago, we felt that there was a gap in supporting developing poets uh, and we came up with a, a scheme, Clyde Built. And the idea with Clyde Built is that um, poets, um, some are before their first collection, so they might have had a pamphlet out or they might have just come out of, of a course or an evening course, or they've never had any sort of training, and they get a chance to spend a year with a more experienced poet. It's had a range of full collections out, and uh, both as a critique um, of their own work, but also to share experiences or, or gain experiences from the uh, more experienced poet. Normally in, in small groups of four or five, and they spend 12 months together, both in group settings and one-to-one settings. And uh, we found that's been a great step up um, for uh, the poets that have been on it. So uh, the 20 best um, poems this year has had um, 
Sam Tong, Katie Ailes, our Claybelt mentees, and Liz Lockhead uh, was a Claybelt mentor. So what you find is that they were their mentor was Liz, now their, their poems are sitting alongside Liz's. And that's the sort of thing that we wanted to have. We had to have that dialogue between generations of poets. I think there was a, a significant gap uh, in Glasgow in terms of getting that gel uh, to happen. And it's great to see um, uh, the mentees go on beyond that. And it, it, it's not just a year, you know, it's going to, but it's that trigger, hopefully a boost. And many of the mentees support networks are still in place. A lot of them still retain a very strong relationship with their mentor, for example. And it's just great to see. And every time that they, they get somewhere in a, um, I'm taken to by uh, Vicky Husband's book, for example. You know, she was a mentee, and then you know she was shortlisted uh, for the Saltire Book of the Year, Poetry Book of the Year, um, as her mentor had been a couple of years before <laughs> yes. in Sandy. So this is all great stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly what was you know we we look for. And also, you're the Glasgow Poet Laureate. Yes. What does that involve? What does it involve? Um, <laughs> um, it involves uh, a, a lot of um, strange commissions and um, committee meetings mm-hmm. um, and uh, looking at ways that can champion uh, both reading um, and literacies in general, but then specifically how to encourage um, uh, poetry uh, across the city among all age groups, either writing or reading. So, trying to get some sort of in in that. So, we support, for example, a primary school poetry competition that the Lord Provost is, is heavily involved in and you know that's been great fun so hopefully the new Lord Provost when they arrive in, uh, in May will be as equally committed to that uh, program. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, that'd be good to see. The Mormon's apprentice surfaced one Friday night at the village hall and asked her to dance. Leading the way through the crowded floor, parting couples who closed in tight behind them. All evening she stared into his small eyes, felt his first beard softened on her face. But that's not what she remembers, nor his dirty long nails, his spade hands, his proud boasting that in the first week, measured in pelts, he had plucked the dead from the dark. Instead, it was near the end, some joker flicked a switch and cut the power his shudder and scream as the night snapped shut. And that's that for another edition of the SPL Poetry Podcast Series. Thank you for listening and thank you to Jim Carruth for coming in and talking to me and thanks to my friend Will Campbell who does the music at the start and at the end of the show. Now, uh, we'll be back again in about uh, a month with another podcast for you to enjoy. In the meantime, if you want to know what the SPL is up to between podcasts, you can always visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk uh, we're keen tweeters here at the library, and so you can find all our tweetiness at By Leaves We Live. That's our tag at By Leaves We Live. Similarly, we have a Facebook page, and we're doing Instagram now at SPL Scotland. That's our tag on Instagram. So now I've got all the social media plugs out of the way, I can bid you a fond farewell and hand you back to Jim Carruth for one final poem, which is taken from his latest collection, published by Frey. Blackheart. Old Collie. While mooking together, my father shouts across the parlour an idea for my next poem. How about working Collie, one that's on its last legs? 
I tell him it has been done before. Unwilling to chase this sentimental stick, I leave it well alone. Turn away, but feel it lying there, becoming hair and bone, crouching low, resting its arthritic frame, flecked muzzle flat on its front paws, lifting itself slowly to its feet. It sniffs out the few short steps to my father, where we both knew it was bound to go. downloading this Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.